Uh, it's good to be back with you this morning. Uh, so I know that Rico's in with the kids, but thanks to him um, for filling in last week so that Katie and I could go uh, support uh, a new church in town. Uh, Vanguard Bible Church was launched last Sunday at Freedom Middle School out in Rosedale, so we were able to be there for their first service. Um, and so that was uh, great to be able to do that and support them, and they were very appreciative um, of that. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of First John chapter 3. And we're going to continue. We're uh, about three quarters, almost three quarters of the way through. Um, our, actually, I should say two-thirds of the way through um, our series here in First John. Can you guys believe that Thanksgiving is Thursday? Thursday. I know it. I'm grateful for the time off, but that just, that's just another year come and gone already. That fast. Uh, you, you could be praying for the leaders. This afternoon we're having a meeting for the but, uh, doing the budget for 2016 for the church, so you can pray for us in that. Uh, another year come and gone. But, uh, so we're going to continue in our series this morning in 1 John. Um, and if you remember, I'll remind you here quickly that the, 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 the point of the sermon series of, of us walking through the book of 1 John together uh, is that you may know. Uh, often throughout, and we've seen it a lot already, especially in chapter 2 there, where the Apostle John uh, writes, he's like, I'm writing these things so that you would know, or I'm writing to you to tell you these things. And so we want to stop and we want to uh, look and see what it was that he was, he was telling this church. Why did it resonate with them? Why is, why is this uh, the, the gospel, if you will, uh, why is it good news for those people in that time in the situation that he wrote to them? But yet we also want to look and see why is all of those things true about us today as well? Why is the gospel good news? H- how does the work of Christ matter to me today? Right? Why, is, why does the acceptance of Christ matter more than the acceptance of my boss or my spouse or my kids or my neighbors or my coworkers? Why is it that being identified with Jesus as a son or a daughter of God Almighty, why does that matter more than being identified with a sports team or music or right, a, a, a niche or a, cl- a clique of, of people in this world? Why does it matter? And so if you remember that I told you guys that this is as we kind of get a mental picture of the setting. Obviously, this was a letter that John wrote, but if, if we could picture what it would have been like if he could have been there, it would have been like a grandfather gathering his, his grandkids around. All right. so this week is Thanksgiving, and actually Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. Um, I love to eat and watch football, and it's like a, a plethora of all of that in one day. Um, and so I love Thanksgiving, but picture, you know, Thanksgiving. And I, and I realize that unfortunately, because of the family unit is so broken in our society, that this is probably really foreign to a lot of us to picture this. But if you will, just picture, you know, we've all finished eating, right? Uh, the Detroit Lion game is on, so it's on in the background, but the volume's down because it doesn't matter. They're going to lose. Why do they keep getting games on Thanksgiving? We don't know, but they do. But it's still football, so we're kind of interested, but not fully, um, right? Like, uh, yes. Uh, huh? They might win this one year. Yeah, they might. Um, but it's, 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 right, so there it is. Grandpa's sitting in his, in his chair, right? It's probably a rocking chair because uh, men love rocking chairs. Um, and he's got his grandkids around him. And, and he's beginning to just share with them uh, 
And not only is he sharing with them, but it's not just, it's not just the imparting of knowledge and wisdom, but it's also, the, it's also the getting to know and the listening and asking questions. Because wisdom only is wisdom if it's the right knowledge applied to that situation. I mean, like that's what wisdom is. And, and so as we, this is why we, we don't believe that there is like a cookie-cutter method for evangelism, is, is you have to know the story of the person that you're trying to share the gospel with. Because what matters to me might not matter to you. And why the gospel is good news to me might not necessarily equate as good news to you. So we need to know one another's stories, and we need to know the gospel so that we know how the gospel is good news to you in your situation. And so John is sitting around with his grandkids, and he's, in, he's imparting wisdom and knowledge to them. And remember that John walked with Jesus. This is a lot of the things that John is sharing with him. I mean, could you imagine getting direct? Well, we are getting direct information, right? But we don't know John personally. Some of these people knew, and, and John walked with Jesus. So John knows intimately the man and the person of Jesus. He was a firsthand witness to the works of Jesus. Along with the other disciples, he was one that left Jesus in the time of his greatest need. But along with Peter, he was also one that was restored to full relationship with Jesus, even though he abandoned Jesus. And so here's the pattern that we've seen the last few weeks. And this is totally sets up where we're at today. But the pattern that we saw is, remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how to spot a wolf. Like John writes, because he wants them to know that there are false teachers, there are false teachings. Not all teachings that are labeled Christian are truly Christian. And so he wants them to know how to spot a wolf, someone that is, is coming to destroy. Somebody that is, is a, and he uses this language in this chapter today, someone that is a child of the devil. Somebody that, that, that does not is not working for the glory of God and the good of others. They're actually working against that. And so he tells them how to spot a wolf. And then last week, like, this might have rocked some of your uh, worlds into what you thought you knew about Jesus, but do you know that Jesus came to destroy? But I thought God was love. Well, God is love. But part of his love is destroying the works of the devil. And so God, Jesus came, the Son of Man appeared to destroy the works of the devil. That's a very violent word. It's not just this passive, okay, you stay over on your side of the country and right, you'll be liberal and then we'll come over here on this side of the country and we'll be conservative and we'll go, no. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And now this morning in our text this morning, which is chapter 3, verses 11 through 24, uh, the title of our sermon this morning is simply The Difference. And so, we, so the Apostle John is writing, so that you may know... The difference. And this morning's text should come somewhat as a, as a reassurance. I'm sure it was a reassurance to his readers because he just got done laying out for them in many words what is evil and what is not of God, right? And, and he talks about how if you don't abide in God, then God doesn't abide in you and you won't live forever and all of these things. And he's, he's talking about all this. And so then, so then he, he begins to transition, if you will, this morning in this text and he begins to bring some reassurance. So let's read 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 24 together. We'll pray, and then we'll walk through these verses. So verse 11 says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil, 
and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against them, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. God, it is upon that spirit that you have given us this morning that we completely rely on. God, we are dependent. Me up here, God, as a broken messenger is completely dependent on your spirit to deliver a perfect, unbroken message so that it would penetrate other broken and imperfect hearts. As we prayed this morning, God, before this service began, I pray that you would soften hearts. I agree with that prayer, God, that you would soften hearts and that the word of truth would penetrate, that life would abide in us, God, and that we would abide in life. And for anyone here this morning, Lord, that does not abide in that truth, Lord, I pray that that you would overcome their resistance to the truth, that you would overcome their resistance to Jesus, and that they would believe. And it is in his name and in your power that we pray these things. Amen. So here we, in in verse 11 and 12, we see two um, contradicting foundations for life. Let's look at verse 11 and 12 again. He says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And that is one of the two foundations for life. Love. We are to love one another. And it is amazing to me in this book that John writes to reassure this church, because, listen, one of the things that we need to remember about John is is John wasn't like, okay, John wasn't like Derek and Amanda. Like, they are the most loving, naturally loving, compassionate, caring people in our church. John wasn't like that. John was more like, we'll say, instead of saying me, I'll say, yeah, John. John, other John. John's writing his hand in the back. Like, you know that, that John had a brother, James, and their nickname was Sons of Thunder. Right? It wasn't the compassionate ones. It wasn't the gentle giants. Right? It was sons of like, and so for John to be so adamant about love for one another, the only way that happens is if he realizes the love that he has received. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. But the first foundation is love in verse 11. The second foundation, he says in verse 12, that we should not be like Cain. Oops, sorry. I got to turn my, my ringer off. 
Hey, this is a good time for everybody to silence their cell phones. Well, la-di-da. You can repent of your self-righteousness at the end. Verse 12. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. So really the second foundation that we see here is hate. It's the opposite of love. And so everything that we do, and this is what John is doing, he is telling them that there are two ways to act, two ways to believe, two two foundations to live your life based from, and one is love, the other is hate. One is seeking the good of others at the expense of your own, and the other is seeking the good of yourself at the expense of others. You see how important words are because I just used the exact same words to define both foundations. But the order of those words matters significantly. And so John is telling them to love. And John is writing this part of the book. What he wants them to know is the difference between love and hate. He wants them to be reassured that that although Jesus appeared to destroy the works of the devil, and that there are many, many wolves out there trying to do the works of the devil, right? He wants them to know that there is a way for you to know if you are saved, if you are a child of God, or if you are a child of the evil one. Like, do, do you know that there is, there is confidence You don't have to spend your life every moment, every morning, waking up every night, going to bed, wondering if you're in or if you're out. You don't. And this is what he's saying. He's reassuring them. Listen, part of love, listen, John is loving them by writing this letter, and part of that love is by telling them the reality that there is evil out there. And, and I was so, I got a text yesterday from Derek. He's, he's telling me, like, we're going to talk to our older kids this morning about uh, ISIS and terrorism and what's going on and how to respond and what, like, that, you guys, like, that's what our kids are learning about today. And they need to know that. And parents, you should be talking about these things with your own kids at the dinner table, right? As you drive around town, as you listen to the radio, as you talk. Don't shelter them from the realities of the world that will only leave them confused and struggling when they're at an age where they can fully understand. Begin now to lay the foundations of truth and the foundations of love that oppose the foundations of evil so that when they do reach an age where they can fully understand, they already have a foundation and a training that teaches them how to properly understand those things. That teach, listen, that teach them in the face of tragedy not to question God, but to show that, the, that in the face of tragedy, it proves the need for God. You see, tragedy shouldn't cause us to question and wonder about God's love. and It shows us that there is a need for God. It shows us that, that, listen, and this is the, remember the teaching that John's battling was Gnosticism, that your sins aren't forgiven by the blood of Jesus, by believing in that, but they're, that they're forgiven really by you just looking deep inside to that light that's already in you. The light's not there. It's gone out permanently. 
until it is relit. And you and I don't possess the power in ourselves to relight that candle, to relight that flame. The Holy Spirit, through our faith in Christ, lights that flame. And so he's telling them, and he's reassuring them of how they should act. And he's reassuring them of who really is a part of them and who isn't. What's the difference? So in verses 12 through 17, he lays out the markers of hate. The markers of hate. And these are things, listen, we got to take this serious. We need to check our own hearts, our own motives as we see these things in Scripture. Don't be quick to say, oh, that's not me, next. Oh, that's not me, but I sure know who that is. Right? Like, let's allow the Spirit to glorify Christ in us by showing us the areas we need to repent and change. Like, we're not above that. That's not hypocrisy. We're not hypocritical Christians if we acknowledge the fact that we aren't perfect and we need help. We go, you go to a hospital because you are sick, and we are sick, and we know that we cannot heal ourselves. So in verse 12 is the first marker of hate or a foundation of hate or a lifestyle of hate, and that is murder. He says, verse 12, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. The word murder, it gives us the picture of this. It's the taking of innocent life. Okay? And we are talking about on an individual level. We are not talking about on a government level because God has given the government the authority of the sword, Paul says in Romans. Right? So we're not, talking, we're not talking about our response, what it should be as a country to terrorism. We're not talking about you know, what we're talking about is as believers, as we live our life, as we, the way we treat one another, a marker of hate is murder. It is murder. Of course, Old Testament Christians and Jews knew this because commandment number six of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not murder. You shall not take innocent life. And I realize I'm going to tread on slippery slope here, but I'm going to go there anyways. Here's what blows my mind about our country. Our response to terrorism, which it should be, it's evil, it's a murder, it's hate, right? But yet we find more and more ways for innocent babies to die every day in the womb. And we call it a woman's right. We're outraged when somebody else chooses to murder us. But when we choose to be the murderer, we're okay. We find ways to excuse it. I read an article this week, um, which just, I, I, it, it got me all emotional, to be honest with you. But uh, those of you, has anybody here watched that show, TV show Scandal? I'd never even heard of it. But I guess it's pretty popular. Okay. So anyways, so apparently there was a scene this week uh, in the episode, so I'm just going to read straight from, um, straight from an article here. Uh, that get this, the article is entitled, Olivia Pope, who is one of the characters in the show, Olivia Pope's abortion is a big freaking deal for women. And here's what uh, this writer um, 
says. She says, Last night, scandals watchers' jaws everywhere dropped to the floor as Olivia Pope skipped a White House dinner engagement to walk into a doctor's office and get an abortion. Viewers never knew she was pregnant, and there was no dialogue whatsoever. I'm going to skip down now in the article. It says, It is so important that Olivia is shown handling it alone. It is so important that she doesn't fall apart. It's so important that she pulls herself together and gets on with life. It's so important that this groundbreaking moment of the show was merely a subplot over in seconds. Because a woman's ability to make medical decisions for her body need not be the focus of her life. It need just be an innate right, something we would not even blink at. Millions of viewers watch their favorite character on television exercise her right to choose to have ownership over her own body and what happens in it. That is powerful. An abortion isn't an identity. It's a medical procedure. Olivia Pope is still Olivia Pope when she walks out of that office. That is murder. You guys realize that, right? It is murder. And people want to say, well, where is God when school shoots happen? And I don't want to get into those theoretical, ideological debates, but the reality is, why doesn't that happen more often in our country? Why hasn't it happened in every school in our, in our city and in our country? When we're excusing the innocent murder of, of, of innocent, helpless children? Do you realize that the women's, like they don't, the women's right, this, this women's lib thing, they don't even argue whether or not it's, it's a baby. Like if, you, if you really research this, in fact, I encourage you all, uh, get on YouTube and type in Matt Chandler's Sermon on Abortion. And watch this 15 to 20 minute um, clip of that entire sermon. You can watch the whole sermon if you want. But he, he quotes many more sources than what I have here today. But they don't even argue whether or not it's an actual baby anymore. They don't care. The indecency has grown. The, desensi- the, the, uh, <laughs> the desensitization of human life has grown from where we try and justify that it's not really a life to it is a life, but I just don't care. It's an inconvenience on me. And this is, the, this is our country. This is our country that screams horror at terrorism, but yet turns a blind eye and finds a way to justify the murder of innocent children. And it is a source, it is a lifestyle of hate. What ISIS is doing is no different than what Olivia Pope portrayed happening in a doctor's office. It is not just a medical procedure. It's murder. Now, this is why the gospel is such good news. Because the gospel forgives murder. You might walk in here having participated in or having or been not having a strong stance on abortion, right? But God has forgiven that in Christ. Christ died a violent, torturous death so that you could be forgiven. So I agree with the article where it says an abortion is not her identity. I agree with that. She's acting in accordance to her identity as a sinner, Right? 
which is so interesting in this verse here to me. It, it, it says that, um, and why did, um, uh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember where it's at now, but um, anyways, so how the identity is as a sinner. But Christ has forgiven that. You do not have to be condemned before God Almighty if you have taken the life of an innocent child. And we have to remember that as we take the good news of the gospel, as atrocious as we might find abortion, and those who defend it, the gospel speaks forgiveness to those on both ends of that operating table. That is good news. That is good news that murderers can be forgiven, whether it's ISIS right? Whether it's a school shooting, whether it's a drunk driving vehicular manslaughter, or whether it's an abortion. God sent his son. Jesus appeared to destroy the works of the devil so that those who believe might be saved, would be saved. So one of the markers of hate is murder. The next one in verses 13 through 15 is hate. And I realize that sounds redundant, but hear me out here. Verses 13 and 15, he says, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in in him. So what is a marker of hate? It's hate. It's wishing ill on other people. It is wishing ill on people so that you could look better or so that you could advance or so that you could be more comfortable. Remember earlier I said that John walked with Jesus and Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount. um, He talks about how uh, those who have uh, lusted upon a woman have committed adultery, which was a radical teaching. And, And then he says, those who have hated their brother or sister have committed murder. You see, it's not just the actions And that's what this whole two foundational thing is about. It's not just your actions. It's the motive for your actions. Lying can be righteous. Lying can be evil. Love can be righteous. Love can be evil. Depending on how we form our definition of love and how it affects our life and those around us. But here's what's amazing. Look at verse 15 where it says, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And those are echoing the exact words of Jesus. Look it up in Matthew chapter 5. The letters are in red. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now here's the good news. You see right here when John's addressing a murderer, he's addressing them as a murderer, as their identity. That is who they are, right? And so because that is who they are, eternal life does not abide in them. Their identity is that as a murderer. They murder because they hate. That's what he's saying. 
So how then is it that someone who has murdered can have eternal life? It's because their identity has been changed. See, when you come to Christ and your, your, your heart is regenerated, which is the technical term, that, that, that your dead heart is made alive, you're no longer a murderer. You're no longer you know, a slanderer. You're, you're, you're no longer a sin. These things... That's no longer your identity. You are now a son. You're now a daughter of God. So you can have murdered and still have eternal life living in you. Isn't that amazing? That is good news. That is the hope for which we should be celebrating Christmas. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. A Savior has come to forgive us of our sins that we could be reconciled. Now, the third marker of hate, he says in verses 16 and 17, By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers, for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So the third marker of hate is indifference. To be indifferent towards somebody and their situation is hate. Don't fool yourself. Because here's what's going to happen is your heart and my heart alike are going to begin to justify all the reasons that we can't help. All the reasons that we can't help. All the reasons that we can't give. All the reasons that we can't sacrifice. All the reasons that we can't meet that need. But in that, we are being indifferent towards them We are not viewing them the way God views them. We're not viewing them the way God views us, right? And in fact, we are hating them, which means, in essence, we what? We've killed them. We have a murderer, a murderous heart, when we are indifferent to the needs of others. See, indifference is caring about our own comforts more than we care about the discomforts of others. You see, Acts chapter 2 gives a beautiful picture of how the New Testament church lives. It is not a descriptive, excuse me, it is not a prescriptive text, meaning you are, uh, God has commanded that you go out and sell all of your goods and give, right? That's not a, it's not a prescription. Like you go to a doctor, you get a prescription, you do this. It's a descriptive text, meaning it's describing what's going on. All of scripture is either prescriptive or descriptive. It either prescribes what we are to do or it describes what the church was doing. It describes what was happening. But here's what's amazing is those people were so overwhelmed with God's love that they did not have to be told to sell their stuff to provide for others. They were moved to sell their stuff to provide for others. And it was, Acts chapter 2 is describing the work of the Spirit and the movement of God around them so that nobody in their midst was without need or was with need. If we are opposed to that, if we are opposed to sacrificing comforts of the world in order to meet the needs of others, then we are indifferent towards them. And we are living from a foundation of hate, not of love. You've probably heard it that the poorest people in America are among the richest of the world. 
So I don't care where you're at in this room right now. You are one of the richest people in this world physically and materially simply because you live in the United States of America. And you don't have to put a jar on your head and walk 20 miles to try and find clean water, hoping that it's healthy and there's not, there's not a sickness or a disease in it. How many different shirts do you have hanging in your closet? We can always complain that we don't have enough clothes. But you've got more than one shirt to choose from. There's no shame when you have to wash that shirt of being naked because you're covered by something else. Most of the world doesn't know that. And yet we live in indifference towards that. Wanting to make sure that our houses are warm, our houses are cool, our cars are bigger, our clothes are newer. Murder, hate, and indifference are all sinful. But John didn't just write so that they would know hate. He wrote so that they would know the difference between love and hate. And so he doesn't leave them hanging. Like, this is, this is intermingled. The whole thing, as you've seen, as we've read, is intermingled with hate versus love. There's this constant battle, this contrast of good versus evil throughout all of these verses. And so I would completely be amiss and have missed the, this text completely if we didn't talk about the markers of love. And let me, let me real quickly say that we're not talking love that the way the world defines love. We are Christ followers. That means that we define love the way God has defined love. We are disciples of Jesus. That means that we are to learn and obey the teachings of Jesus as we're bringing others along to learn and obey the teachings of Jesus as well. And so he defines love for us. And we'll see that in a moment, but in order through the verses in this text, the first marker of love is obedience. Ouch. We were probably hoping it was something else. Verse 11, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We are to be obedient to loving one another. Throughout John's letter here, as well as in uh, the book of 2 John, and Jesus says it himself, and, and you can read it in the Gospels, that if you love God, you will do what he says. We cannot separate loving God from doing what he says. Parents, you cannot separate your children loving you from them doing what you say. Not from a domineering, hierarchical, you know, monarchy, but, but from the way that God demands that we love. Because it's what's best. Because it's what's best. And so a marker of love is obedience. Are you obedient to the things of God? Do you give financially, regularly to the church? Do you gather regularly with the church? Do you care for the needs of the less fortunate regularly with the church? Because God has called us to do all of those things. Do you love God above all else? That is the first and greatest commandment. And the second, Jesus says, is like it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. 
You see, we don't even have to talk about obeying when it comes to money and pornography and lust and greed and gossiping if we focus all of our efforts on obeying, loving God, and loving one another. Because all those other things take care of themselves as we're loving God and loving one another. The second marker, verse 16, is sacrifice. By this we know love. So he's telling them, here is the definition of love. Here is what we base love on. That he laid down his own life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Our lives should be marked by obedience to God and sacrifice for others. Our lives, a life of love. John says, I want you to know the difference between hate and love. I want you to know the difference between the works that Jesus came to destroy and the works that Jesus came to empower and to breathe life into. Jesus came to destroy the works of hate, murder, and indifference. And he came to give life to obedience and sacrifice. And thirdly, confidence. The third marker of love in this text is confidence. Verse 21 says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. How is it that our heart cannot condemn us? Look at verse 20. Excuse me, verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart. God has overcome our hearts. Therefore, we can have confidence that he abides in us and we abide in him. The markers of love, God's love for us empowers us to be obedient and empowers us to sacrifice and empowers us to be confident in his love and his acceptance of us. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to wonder if today, finally, that sin was the sin that finally kicked me out of the family. That was the sin that just dad is just not going to get over. There's no wondering. He's already eternally gotten over all of it. And we can have confidence in that. And this is the promise that he gives. And in verse 24, the the, the last verse of the text, he says, um, Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. You see, we have confidence. We are freed to have confidence. We are freed to sacrifice. We are free to obey because God's Spirit lives in us. That is being born again. That is being saved. That is your heart being regenerate. Regenerated is that it is no longer dead, but it is now full of life so that you can respond in faith, so that you can believe in the work of Jesus on your behalf, the forgiveness of your sins, the, the forgiveness of other sins. You see, we cannot live sacrificially and love one another if we don't fully believe and understand God's sacrificial love for us. Because I'm not going to sacrifice until I realize that someone greater than me has sacrificed for me. That's my motivation to sacrifice. 
the eternal inheritance that I have in God, Christ Jesus, because he sacrificed for me. So if that means I go without a new car, I go without a new car now because I know that my eternity is secure and I will have the greatest of comforts in that eternity. You see, being a Christian isn't rejecting comfort. It's denying it temporarily. It's saying that there is an eternal comfort that is far greater than any temporal comfort this world can offer. And that's the difference that John wrote about. That we may know. The difference between love and hate. Love lays its life down for us. Hate demands that you lay your life down for me. Let's pray. In fact, will you please stand with me and we'll pray. God, it is with great joy, uh, but also at the same time a heavy heart that we stand to pray together. My heart is heavy, God, as I continue to think about terrorism and fear and sickness and death and abortion. And God, if all we did was focus on those things, Lord, we would never really be able to have a good day or get out of bed with a joyful spirit. But God, we are joyful because you have overcome the world. And you take our sinful identities, God, and you give us new identities. You bore the sin on your own shoulders that we might bear the righteousness of God. For those that are here this morning, God, that uh, have struggled to believe that, I pray, God, that they would end their struggle today and that they would believe. For those, God, that uh, live a life that is marked by murder and hatred and indifference, God, I pray that today they would turn from that and that they would turn to a life, God, that is marked by obedience and sacrifice and confidence. God, you are great, for you are the only God that can offer these things to us. May we all respond in faith. May we all believe. May we all believe to such a degree, God, that the story of our life tells the world that we believe.